there's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. FPL predictions, right? Here we go. Going to go sort of quick fire-ish. You can have a couple of sentences. No more! Are there any underrated FPL assets from the newly promoted team? There's a leadership void in the City team at the moment, as much as Yao Kad have lost Gundogan and, and Mares. And Kovacic is a good player, but he's a very different player. There's definitely a leadership void in there at the moment. This year, it doesn't feel like any of those guys are going to be able to be at that Man City level. For me, there's more uncertainty around Liverpool. But I'm, not, I'm just not quite sure they have the depth that they need. If you had to have a Liverpool attacker, it's not Salah. Who would you go for? Brutal. Uh, can we rely on any Tottenham assets, James? Of course not. <laughs> okay. If Kane but leaves... Keep, d- keep an eye on Destiny at left-back. He's dynamite. Play with the most FPL points this season will be... Hello, everybody. Welcome back to The Ripple Effect with me, James Lawrence Alcott. And on this week's episode, and we've got two episodes this week, and they are going to be going through the lens of FPL broadly. Now, before we started recording, I was chatting to James and Suj from Planet FPL, which is my go-to. I say FPL podcast, but it's it's not. It's much more than that. It's an incredible podcast. You guys know your stuff, and it's good fun as well. And kind of quick ripple effect. For me, I obviously left my uh, one of my jobs and went out on my own, and it was to host and produce uh, an FPL show. And we never got you on it, James, did we? We never able to get you on it somehow. I don't know what happened there. So just uh, like stole it and then kept quiet, I think. I, I did keep asking. Um, but from there, at that time, there was 7 million people playing FPL. Now, or at the end of last season, there was 11 million. I'm sure there's probably an updated number that you know that that's, that's not even correct. The size of the FPL is amazing. But what I learned when I did that show was the the sort of, if you strip it back, this is just people that love the game and understand the game and are open to different teams, different players, different formations, all of that. And so I, I felt really at home in that community. I remember really enjoying being part of it and wanting to kind of showcase it as best I could because the people that were able to get on just were incredible voices but to this day I still listen to your podcast all the time the guys have just done 20 episodes one with each uh, with a uh, correspondent that they have throughout the season um, for each Premier League team and it is so nutritious it's absolutely wonderful so there'll be a link in the description get this out of the way early uh, Planet FPL Go check it out. And I'm now going to let the guys uh, talk. How are you both? So, how are you? Yeah, super good. Thanks, James, for uh, having us on. And uh, that was basically, yeah, the, the sales pitch. I couldn't have done a better job myself, could I? <laughs> well, yeah, but you didn't do nothing last week. Oh, yeah. It was all me. I had to listen to them, James. Oh, wow. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah they, were, they were all right. They were good. He's undone my work in yeah. 30 seconds. Uh, let's get into it because we've got so much to talk about. And what I want to do is kind of... 
we're going to get to FPL, you know, players, you know, differentials, people are going to get the most assists, things like that. We're going to get your predictions, but I also just want to get your thoughts on the season and your predictions as well. So just before we started recording, we was talking about mini leagues. I think that's something that is definitely there for me. So it'd be interesting to see if we're in the same place with that. Uh, let's start off with our word of the week for this season preview. Bold. The word is bold. The definition is uh, not frightened of danger. Uh, which I think is perfect for this week because I put my predictions out uh, yesterday and the response gets more vociferous every single season. And again, if we strip this back, I don't know what's going to happen. (laughs) It's just my opinion, which again is a world that you guys live in where you have to kind of put forward people all the time and we get it wrong all the time. James, I know last year wasn't, it wasn't a great year for you, was it, when it comes same to FBL? bold, at least Tottenham done something bold with, <laughs> with the appointment of their new manager, for example. But I know where you predicted Tottenham to finish last year, and it was the same as most people, top four, right? Yeah, yeah, so, it was, it was high. Listen, if you're predicting 20 teams, you're going to upset a few people. <laughs> There's no doubt about it. Well, actually, what I might get you to do as well, is kind of one ripple effect that I'm sort of feeling is once the predictions go out, and then you start to get new information. You go, oh, no, I think I might have got this one and that wrong, that one wrong. And when they reveal themselves, let's, we can uh, dive into some of those. But it's time to be brave, people. It's that time of the year that can often come back to haunt us in May or make us look like geniuses. Or what's probably more likely is we'll look stupid for the bulk of it, but we will find the one thing that we did get correct and try and put it forward and say that we're geniuses. Uh, in the week leading up to the kickoff of the Premier League, uh, all of last season's glories, bad takes and genius moments are forgotten, but that paves the way for us to do it all again. Uh, in this week's Ripple Effect, we're puffing our chests out again, going bold and trying to be ahead of the game, not only for the Premier League, but also in the FPL. So we could look doubly clever or doubly stupid. Either way, we're going to get excited about doing so. Uh Initial thoughts on the start of a new season, because for both of you in the Premier League, so Suji's a West Ham fan, James is a Tottenham fan, as he alluded to there. In the league, pretty disappointing. But Suj, yes, <laughs> it did end on a, a bit of a high. How how quick has that washed away? Has it washed away? How are you feeling about the new season? Uh, well, when you wait 43 years to, to win a trophy, uh, that, that uh, feel-good effect does last for a little while. Um, so yeah, I'm still enjoying the high of actually having a trophy uh, to talk about. I mean, it's the first time in my lifetime that we've won something. Um, so that feel good factor has kind of stuck around. Having said that, I did have a message literally two days ago from somebody saying that the sale of Declan Rice and the lack of transfer activity in the summer has washed away the the good feeling that was around the club and it's kind of turned a little bit negative very very quickly. Right. Um, so I'm not sure if I'm in a little bit of a, a bubble of still enjoying that the Conference uh, League trophy. But I know some fans are now thinking, right, well, if we don't get some bodies through the door, it's going to be another difficult league campaign again. Do you think it would, uh, just to stay on West Ham for a second, because we're going to go look at a lot of teams. Do you think that winning that trophy and and how special it was and the way that it was won, do you think that would have changed the perspective of any West Ham fans because often there's always this debate that goes round of the you know do you want a trophy or do you want do you want to finish in the Champions League places or or you know what do you want and I think especially again coming back to these mini leagues West Ham are probably kind of at the bottom of one mini league possibly or or were hoping to be in that mini league alongside Villa who've sort of stolen a bit of a march now Newcastle Brighton Yep. Maybe chuck Tottenham in there, kind of Tottenham are sort of in between that one and that, that big six or the greedy six or whatever you want to call them. 
But then that bottom, the bottom 10 teams, they all could feasibly go down this season in terms yep. of my prediction. I'm going to say 11. And who's the 11th team that you're checking in there? Well, arguably them. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. Mm. What about I had? So I had West Ham 10th in my predictions, yep. which everyone's like, that's really punchy and optimistic. But it feels like West Ham fans have quite quickly forgotten about that trophy and they need to, we need, you know, you need to go deep in the Europa League and the Premier League form needs to improve as well. Well, this will be the third season of European football in a, in a row for West Ham, which again is like unheard of. Um, you get a bug for playing European football or going deep in cup competitions, which we've had the last couple of years. Um, so I think fans have got a bit of a bug for going deep in cup competitions. And, and if you said to me now, for example, you'll finish 15th, but you can have the League Cup or FA Cup. I'll take the cup all day long just because of that, that buzz that we got from it. Um, so, yeah, I think there is a certain feeling amongst West Ham fans that we want more uh, silverware. The, I went to Stratford for the parade after the um, the day after we lifted the cup, and the energy was so good. You you could tell for a lot of the players in the squad as well that it was the first time winning a trophy. And you're like, mm. right, this is what it feels like to win a trophy. I want more. So hopefully it gives them motivation to kick on. Let's skip into. I'm going to go down this road in, in terms of our predictions because we've got a whole list of uh, shouts I want to get from you guys as, as people that you know spend their life. You know, watching football. First manager to go. Now, because if I said to you, what I was kind of getting at was Serge, that if you finished 14th again, had the exact same season, but you won the Europa League, would will David Moyes still be the manager at the end of the season? Probably. I'd say w- so. Will that Europa League, as long as he's doing well in the Europa League, will that allow him to survive this season? Yeah, I think so. Um, the only uh, caveat I'd add to that is the ownership around the club, because that can have an impact. And there has been talk of change of ownership. And if you get new owners who might want to take the club in a different direction, that could have an off-field impact on whether David Moyes keeps his job or doesn't. Um, there might be some disgruntlement at the lack of transfer activity as well, and that might have an impact. But if we're talking about on the field, I think going deep in the cup competition again um, and staying in the Premier League. 14th, I think, is the lowest I would accept in the league. Right. Um, but but 14th or above and going deep in a cup um, should keep him his job. Mm. In terms of predictions then, James, that first manager to go, because it's you sort of look at it all. And I did my championship ones last last uh, week and, and we did a podcast with Ali Maxwell, which people seem to really enjoy. We actually kind of went, uh, did a bit of a deep dive in terms of teams getting promoted and if they can stay up and focused on Luton and Sheffield United and Burnley as well. But we did talk about how the championships, you know, it's so difficult to predict because 60% of those managers won't be there next season. Mm. There was a lot of changes in managers last year. Do you think it will be the same this year. You know, we're all going, oh, they'll be okay. You know, he's a good manager. He's a good manager. But, you know, we saw that with Conte. We saw that with Tuchel. We saw that with so many managers last year. How many? Man- how much of a churn do you expect this year, James? And who do you think could be the first guy to go? I think when you look at it on paper, it's probably not, not as many that you think will go, but history tells us that plenty will change. Mm. So I was looking at it a month ago and so and thinking of of the all 20, I could foresee all 20 in theory staying in their job. But there's a few I think that have changed since then. I think Moyes is under threat, genuinely. Yep. Think back to my team, Champions League final when the manager was gone four months later. Yep. That would have been unthinkable yep. at that point yep. with Pochettino. Even Leicester and Ranieri right, winning the league. Exactly. Do you think with, not lasting. with the money, do you think if, if David Moyes, if they don't spend the money, 
for whatever reason. That's not on David Moyes, I right? Don't think no. But if they do spend the money, that that puts more pressure on him, like last season. The right? problem is not spending the money, as in West Ham have got, with Schumacher gone now as well, it's about 130 yep. odd. We think there's a deal for Edson Alvarez. Yep. Mm. The problem is the players that Moyes wants and the director of football wants are two different things. I've heard this And too, that's yeah. why I think there is a bit there, of a, there's a clash. Whereas if they get to the end of the month, if the results aren't good and you have got a tough start in fixtures, mm. I wouldn't be surprised if they go, we're not right for each other anymore. More than more than old oh, Moyes has been terrible. Or I can I can see it going down. And I can uh, also mutual. see it see it going down the road of where the uh, new director of football is coming from, kind of Leverkusen, and that gets favouritism over Moyes because he is what they would say is the future of the football club in terms of the style of play or the style of players that we want to bring in young players from Europe, not Moyes. And and so they'd rather get rid of Moyes and keep him than the other way around. I, it's what I've heard about, I've heard two, a couple of different things from different people. One thing I have heard about David Moyes is that he's quite um, dithery. He's quite yeah. sort of hesitant in terms of like making those decisions of wanting a player or not wanting a player. And that's part of the reason why they haven't kind of spent this money. Because one, there's different voices now, mm. that, but also he kind of, he, he's from an era actually where it was like, this is your squad. Like you have the sort of space to to figure out what you kind of want, and then you're not really challenged after that. Now is, and we're going to do this in our sort of second podcast. Like the metrics in football are so in depth now, and yep. those analysts are so important to football football clubs now, uh, and have such um, credence, I guess. That I think David Moyes is someone who's certainly not a dinosaur. He's done a brilliant, brilliant job, but he's. He's sort of strong-willed as well. And there's probably, mm. like any manager, there's an element of ego there. So I wonder if uh, he... I think you're right. That's why I wanted to ask that question. I think he's uh, sort of... He's in the room in terms of being a manager that could could go. I, I think there's two others I'd like to chat yeah. out. I think are really under pressure. I think Steve Cooper at Forest, who did really well and obviously stuck by him a lot last year. But their fixtures at the start are horrendous. Uh, their first four away games are, are extremely tough. And they've got Sheffield United and Burnley at home in the first six. The pressure on those two, if they go wrong, and as expected, they don't do a lot in those away games, they could comfortably finish, be bottom after the first six. And they'll have, have an expectation as a football club to do better this year. Mm. No doubt about it. So if they start bad this time, I think they might make a decision and possibly change. But you, you want it bold. Cool. I think Lopetegui probably won't even make it till the end of the month. I, I agree with you. So yeah, in terms of the names that are out there, I mean, let's just look at them now. I think there's certainly managers that feel a little bit untouchable, but having watched as much football as we have over the years, you do get a certain, you can see the world where Roy Hodgson, like, it just doesn't kind of work and they need to, they, all of a sudden they actually need someone a bit fresher. Uh, Lopetegui, I, I would expect to be the first to go, personally. I, I think it was great in one of your podcasts I'm talking about how the... Um, it's either the home games or the away games are really tough. I think it was Wolves, the home games are difficult. Yeah. But that obviously puts pressure on the away games for yeah. you to get points. And, and they don't score enough goals. And, and actually, a thing that comes around time and again is around sort of five, six games, if you are still on zero points or, you know, one point or you haven't won a game yet. Frank the ball. Palace. Yeah. yeah, that was the one I was going to use as an example that Sorry, um, mate, I got first. maybe Bournemouth's <laughs> new manager might fall into that bracket where it's a handful of games and you're like, oh, I think they're panic a, button. They're a different case though because their fixtures are so rough at the start, Bournemouth. Yep. They're almost too rough right. that the expectations on the floor. In their first eight or nine games last season, corresponding game, they got zero points. So they can't do any worse than they did in the same fixtures last year. And then their, you look at, their style is going to completely You look change. at Vieira last year, like he got sacked at the end of a again a really rough run of fixtures before a good run of fixtures it's kind of like sometimes it doesn't matter about the fixtures but i, th- but I think if it's in the fir- if it's the first 7 8 
yep. then I think that's that kind of gives you that stay of execution. Whereas if it's kind of getting to January time, you want to use the transfer window. Time's running out. Yeah, I mean, I guess mm. the other problem as well, there, there's often a ripple effect from the the international break being on the horizon. Like we've seen mm. that in previous years. I think Dean, I think it was Dean Smith, maybe or Farker. Sorry, got got the sack, didn't he? Because they knew they had that international break to give give someone a bit of an opportunity to sort of get their feet under the the, the table. So Lopetegui, we've got a David Moyes. As he said, David Moyes there. Paul Heckingbottom, I think that could get ugly pretty quickly. Steve Cooper, you've put in there. I hadn't really put him there because I, I generally feel like the fans absolutely adore him there. But they you're do. right. They I get do. what you're saying. It's just, I, I have a sense of feeling that they they obviously invested a lot last summer, which has meant they can't go quite as mad this year. Speculation of, say, Brennan Johnson keeps getting linked with, say, Brentford Tottenham as examples. And I just think that fixture runs so rough that if they are, say, on two or three points from the first six or so, they might go, we now expect more. And not panic will set in that early in the season. They might go, okay, it, it might have hit its level. The fans do love him now. Mm. And I don't think, do want to change. They're a little bit fearful that because of the fixture list that perhaps it might happen on this occasion, though. What about Postacoglu? Do you think that the... Cause I, I think I, he's the, not going to lose his job in August, mate. No, not in August. <laughs> but I think the... The sensible take is, and actually, my, where uh, my mate Flav, I, I asked, we were doing a mailbag, which doesn't, you know, go out. It's to our patrons, and I was like, clip this up because he said, "Look, whatever happens, he needs time. We've got to give him time." <laughs> I went in January when you're shipping five, scoring four, but shipping five, like you're going to turn on him pretty quickly. Like you say, uh, maybe it's just because you said about the the uh, Pochettino shout and, and the fact that you just never would have expected him to have uh, been out the door. Postacoglu, it could be interesting there. I think, well, where are Tottenham fans' expectations? Do you think they've tweaked good, a little good bit? Good football. <laughs> That's all you care about. It would literally about. just That's be a good all you start. Care about, right. No, it's not all we care about. We want successful football, obviously, as well. But I think what we've had with the last three managers, Tottenham need to feel identity again with the, the football club, forgot what it was and who it is, and tried to be something that it wasn't really. And how we got to where we got to challenging was by doing things in a Tottenham way and punching a little bit different to what the so called other big six would do. And we need to go back to that. Um, and the first bit of doing that is going with a different brand of identity of style of football and it's, it's possibly going to be quite extreme. So we are going to go for it. it. The difficult corner is we've played and I know you beat us. I don't know yep. how. But we haven't been really challenged in the pre-season games to see what we actually look like defensively against right. a good team. So we're all just guessing at the moment what Tottenham might look like. But he, what I can certainly disrespectful say... Disrespectful to Lion City Sailors, that is. Fine. <laughs> My correspondent, Ricky, was a lot more disrespectful <laughs> last week. Yeah, um, but um, definitely you're going to get a different brand of, of Tottenham. I think we'll definitely... I, I, would, I would put us about ninth at the moment, personally, because I just think it's so unpredictable. And defensively, there's a lot of work to do. So Mickey van der Ven is going to make a really big difference. But if he's going to go straight in and be ready... Who knows? And in case either way, if him or uh, Romero get injured, we're really short at centre back. So, but the style of team looks really, really different. I mean, we, we have every reason to feel confident. But then most football fans will do. At will this there be a lot more money season. spent for the Tottenham between now and that then? Do you think might depend on what happens with the England <laughs> captain? <Outgoings, yeah. laughs> oh, what is he not happy? <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's happy, but time recording. Who knows? Who knows? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay, because I think. Uh, I, Again, time of recording, I was on uh, Twitter on the way in and uh, Laporte looks like he's kind of um, up for grabs. I was just thinking, oh, Tottenham. 
that could work. Yeah, the, the only thing with him might be because um, Postacoglu apparently the the Tottenham data people have got data people in now, which is yeah. quite positive. Okay. <laughs> yeah, um, they were really keen on Max Kilman from Wolves, but he shut it down. He's like his recovery pace isn't good enough because they're going to wow. be so offensive. Yes. And invert both fullbacks, it builds into like a two three five structure, whereas most are doing it in a three two five. That ping it over the, the top of us. Right, you gotta be ready to go. Exactly that. Interesting. So recovery pace in his two centre backs is massive. And let's talk about last season's effects on this season. And again, coming back to the mini league idea. Who's in your are you have you got a top mini league? Like who's who's got a chance at the title this year? I know we all generally think Man City. You would imagine yeah, they would do it say, again. But who's in that? Who's C- in that realm? City will be there or thereabouts. <laughs> <laughs> got a chance. Yeah. yeah. And, hey guys, make sure you're following for more insight like yeah. that. Um, do you think anyone's knocking around with them? Because uh, for me, yeah. I think there is a mini league to a point, and the three for me are City, Arsenal, and Liverpool. I don't think Man United are there just yet. Personally, See, I've, I would say three as well. Um, as going for the title, but I'd have said City, Arsenal, and Man United. Okay, it's turning into a four. Um, although I feel like it's a two plus one because I don't. I think United will be a little bit behind Arsenal and, and City, but they'll be comfortably ahead of whoever's fourth. Okay, so uh, but I think Manchester United, and that's as as much a vote for Ten Hag as yes. it is for um, the squad as well, because I think he adapted well at, at once he got over a, a bit of a rocky start, and I think he's really shrewd tactically so I think he'll get that team drilled again have a full pre-season I think United will um, for me there's more uncertainty around Liverpool like, I'm not just, I'm just not quite sure they have the depth that they need like if they have an injury or two at centre-back what's going to happen there um, they're going to ship a lot of goals a bit like Spurs to be honest with you so that's why I'm not going to put Liverpool I in just, the top three I don't know maybe it's a gut thing and I'm just sticking with it now I just think they've got so many goals in that team and I think we kind of sometimes you go, oh, who have you brought in? And they go, and they have brought in a few. Jota's back, Diaz is back, Nunes is a better player in that system, like no doubt in my mind. Salah, I think, again, we kind of forget about he is what like one of the greats. He's we take one him of for the granted. Yeah. We do, 100%. Like, you know, to bring it back to FPL year after year. Even last year, yep. supposedly had a bad season. And yeah. understandably, you talk. We talk about. We don't want to talk about the same things all the time. And sometimes it's difficult to talk about Man City because the jeopardy isn't always there. And it's oh, they're still good. Like got it. Salah's kind of in that in that bracket. He's time and again, season after season. Dare I say it? Always fit and mm-hmm. always providing output. And I just think I think Liverpool being slept on a, a little bit. Let's talk about Arsenal. Do you have to? Yeah, so, mate. so Arsenal not winning the title last season has made it even easier for Man City to win the league this year. Now, these are sort of ripple effects, effects that could occur. And you, what we often have is a phrase where we go, I'm not having it. So feel free to say I'm not having it. And I imagine you're probably not. not um, it. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> so because of Arsenal's failed title charge this season, they've now gone big and bold in the transfer window, spending whatever it takes to get Declan Rice, whilst also picking up Kai Havertz and Durian Timber. Whilst this makes Arsenal stronger in terms of depth, does it now mean that they don't know their best 11, meaning an integration period is now needed? Man City have little change to their team at the time of recording and potentially will continue their momentum from last season. Will the success of the likes of Aston Villa, Newcastle and Brighton this season impact on how we view the Premier League in terms of it being harder to distinguish this top six? And is the ripple effect of this that our predictions can be a little bit bolder this season? So, first of all, Arsenal... New players, generally, you think that's a kind of a, a good thing. The thread I'm pulling at here is specifically this idea that last season, depth did cost Arsenal. 
but it also got them to that position in the first place. The, the sorry, the starting lineup. The starting lineup was so fluent and played at such a pace that they everyone knew what their starting lineup was for the first two thirds of the season. And he brought in Trossard, and Trossard was a good signing as well for them as well. But you couldn't stop them anyway because the way they played was just they knew what they were doing. They they were so quick in, in their play. This season, when you're bringing in the likes of Declan Rice, Havertz, you know, Trossard's looked impressive in preseason as well, Durian Timber. You've got a lot of hybrid players in that squad. I think it's a really well-built squad. But in terms of getting to that pace again, to be able to break down the opposition, because there's different types of games, right? There's the Man City game, for example, at the Community Shield. I thought that, uh, that is what I thought would, might happen with Declan Rice if you've got Thomas Partey knocking about, is that it provides so much more protection, protection especially down... That left-hand side, he could focus with that left-hand side, let Martinelli be free, and then uh, Thomas Partey could kind of deal with the right-hand side, both with the ball and without the ball. But against teams that you've got to break down, you need a different kind of eight. But they also need to be very, very fluent in how they play. Do you think there does need to be that integration period with Arsenal, or do you expect them to be as fluent as they have been? Possibly. I think that the fixture list is good for them, which gives them the opportunity to start in the way that they did last year. And I think um, Arsenal were in a similar position to Pochettino's Tottenham in the sense exactly what you said. You could look at that 11 and go, oh, that's a really good 11 if it stays fit. But underneath, there's layers of problems. We saw that with Saliba and one or two others when they got injuries towards the end of the season. They had to change with obviously now Champions League yeah. You've, you've, it's very different to strolling through the Europa League group stages. So you need to add depth. And one of the problems I thought Arsenal would really have was improving the quality of the eleven because it was so clear. Tottenham had the same problems. Yeah. How do you get? You know, how do you buy a backup for Harry Kane? Mm. Whoever you get isn't going to play. So they've added players who can play in multiple positions: Trossard, Havertz. Declan Rice, Timber, are all players who can cover in different areas, which still keeps kind of a core of like 16, 17, but has raised the bar on on level. And it also keeps people on their toes more. Martinelli yeah. can't, not that he was ever strolling through games, but knows if Trossard's playing well, when he's not, Trossard will go in the team, for example. Mm. So no, I think they've added quite smartly and it pains me to say it. Yeah, yeah, you I, kind of can't have it both ways, right? If, if, if depth is the issue, you've got to fix it with more players. And actually having more versatile players is a better solution than having more specialists. Although so, some, some squads do l- line up with two 11s that are exactly the same and you're swapping one in, one out. But obviously Arsenal have got the ability to change it up a little bit more. The, and I totally agree with you. And mm. I, I put them in that in that mini league. I, and I can see them winning the Champions League. Like I really can. Oh, and this Sorry, season. Yeah, why I'm, not? I'm going on a very long holiday. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I can. Um and it's due to that that squad building's really really smart. Arteta's done fantastically well. I just wonder because with all these predictions, there's I did a video a week ago talking about the quality of of different squads, and we, you know, we use transfer market and their market value. We had this sort of interquartile range thing, which was interesting but not totally true, right? But what it did, I think, reveal to me is who is more susceptible to being hurt by two things that matter at, at, that we we can never really understand how it's going to play out. Injuries and fatigue. Mm-hmm. And so for Arsenal, and also actually maybe expectation you can chuck in there as well. But I think, uh, so Arsenal, in terms of dealing with those those injuries, absolutely. In, in terms of dealing with the Champions League, I, I, think they'll, I think they'll be okay. But dealing with the expectation of being the best two teams in the league, that's not where Arsenal were a year ago. And I do think that will 
I do think that will play a part a little bit. I think they'll be like they both win in terms of how the opposition will set up against them. Yeah. And how Arsenal are able to kind of cope with it as well. I really feel like next season, I know this is, I keep saying this and I know this is really probably not good for any of our James has turned into a really long holiday now, mate. I'm sorry, mate. <laughs> I think next season's the, the real title race. I, I think Man United could be in there, Liverpool could be in there, and Man, City could, and Man City will obviously be in there, but Arsenal will be so strong next year. This year, it doesn't feel like any of those guys are going to be able to be at that Man City level. As it stands right now, City probably need to beat themselves where they lower motivation or yeah. standards. Gundogan's a big miss for them. There's a leadership void in the City team at the moment, as much as Yao have lost Gundogan and, and Mares. And Kovacic is a good player, but he's a very different player. There's definitely a leadership void in there at the moment. Lost goals too, right? Mares and Yeah, the, the guy up goals. front is slightly yeah, different to most, most others who probably... This is what we were joking about with, with Johnny Pringle, our City correspondent last week. Holland might do better because there's even more requirement on him to score the goals now in the absence of someone like Gundogan, genuinely. Um, it's difficult to see beyond them at the moment. But but Arsenal now know what it takes. And I think why I would include Liverpool as well, James, and I don't think that they will challenge for the title particularly, but the difference between them and the two Uniteds who obviously finished in the top four last year, is Liverpool, we know, can put that eight, nine winning run together, which we haven't quite seen from the two United yet. And if you want to punch with City, at some point, you've got to put that sort of run together where it's at least sort of eight wins, one draw over a space mm. of nine. Like Arsenal started last year. Would Arsenal win 14 of the first 13 yeah. or, or something, right? So then suddenly they weren't under pressure, but they put almost put themselves under pressure because they raised the, the bar of expectation on the results and how they played. Liverpool are capable. And Liverpool got kind of a, a tough run of fixtures at the start. They got uh, Chelsea, first Chelsea away, Newcastle away, Tottenham and Brighton all away in the opening sort of eight or so. If they win sort of three of them and deal with the business at Anfield, they put themselves in contention when they then come into a good run. So I think Liverpool would have to start well. Because of Arsenal City's fixtures, they'll, there's every chance they'll pull away. My feeling with Liverpool is just that I, I think what we think of Liverpool today is not what we'll think of them in two months' time. Because I, I just think there's so many goals in that team. And I think if that happens, then you start to create this really strong fear that Man City, Man City have teams beaten before they even step out at the Etihad because over a, a, a instead of a cup competition where it's, it's weird in a cup competition there there can be like we've just got to get to ninety minutes, but in the in the league time and again it's water torture and it, like I think they just kind of step into it and thinking oh, they're they're going to pick us off here and they're very relaxed in how they play. I just yeah I just feel like Liverpool will will excite and then will kind of get their groove back and also like. Maybe I'm, I'm going into a pattern here a bit, but they've had great season, off season, great. Season. They've had those off seasons, and, and last season certainly was that. But I do feel like they've strengthened. They're going to be very, very different. But, but very of those dominant. who could win the title, they're arguably the worst defensively. Yeah, today I agree. Or let's at least say the most vulnerable. Yes, that's fine. I think, and I think again, injuries is going to be important here. In fact, if you've got if Canate and Van Dijk can stay fit like they've got themselves a huge chance like and that defense will be better because exactly what you're saying about uh Tottenham you have that recovery pace in terms of Canate if if you are dominating and, and pushing up See, the thing, it's, it's injuries but also the window hasn't closed yet so like for yeah. me I was just thinking right now if the Lavia deal goes through suddenly Liverpool are much closer to Manchester United straight away because they've got somebody in the, front of the The problem the with him is, as I said, what did he play for Southampton last year? 15 games or so? Primarily yeah. because I mean, of injuries. injuries. So, um, But I think if Liverpool don't get up. Lavia, 
they've obviously got a 40 to 50 million pound hole in their pocket but yeah money ready to, i'm banking to spend, on them getting so. <laughs> i'm banking Lavia. on them getting someone sorted as well yeah they but, will they will get someone it may I not don't know be what Lavia. I don't, um, the amrabat thing doesn't seem to be happening there like, that seems to like, i think he i think he'd be a really good fit he's there. been small united there. yeah, yeah exactly. paulina at things. fulham we've mentioned as well yeah. but he's not but we, age profile for Liverpool. i feel like west ham had nearly 50 million pounds rejected for for palinia so i don't know if we would pay that kind of money as well 50 million rate him no but short-term fix if lavia's I, he's a super player. Yep. Whether he's going to be ready to play 38 games for Liverpool mm. is, I think, it's questionable mm. at the moment. So there's definitely a void there. As it stands, I mean, in the in the friendly Monday night, they played McAllister as a six. Yep. Jones has primarily been doing it in pre-season. That's fine. I think Jones had a really good tournament for the under-21s. I think he's a really underrated player. But you, you're happy with that for the whole season if you're going to it's challenge. It's not going to get you the title. They've, they've got to it's do not some, going to get you close to the title. They've got to yeah. do something. And any of, them, said- any of them components defensively come out, you know, Matip has, has dropped from, looked great a few years ago. It's not the same now. Joe Gomez hasn't progressed the way people thought. So, yeah. There, I think there's, they'll own the ball though. Problem. I do think, like, especially, maybe I'm getting clouded by Trent there. Like, I do think What's really important for them is they obviously lost a lot of energy last year. Players like McAllister, Sabosla, Luis Diaz bring that back for them this year. Mm. And if they get that right and press right from the front, that will really help the whole team. Yeah. Because a lot of the problem they had last year was breaking first lines against Liverpool and it was easier to play against them than it had been for a long time in terms of playing through them. And that just put the defence under too much duress. Top four shouts. So who is your? who are your top fours? So City, Arsenal, United, Liverpool, in that order for me. Uh, I would flip Liverpool and Manchester United. Don't upset the Newcastle fans, mate. Um, although I just did. Can I just talk about that for a second? People, I'm getting... How, you're going, how could you put... I've got Newcastle eight. I, I was like, well, how could you do that? And I was like, hang on a minute. A year ago, you were going, guys, guys, can we just calm this all down? And now you're getting that. The, like, not all Newcastle fans, and I know I'm going to wind up a load of you as well, but just don't message me because I'm going to ignore it. Like, don't get entitled yet. <laughs> you're yeah. not there I, yet. I was, like, was going to say, I'm putting Liverpool above Manchester United because I, I can't upset Liverpool fans, as I've well learned now <laughs> over the years. I'm better off upsetting Newcastle fans. That, no, I put Liverpool above United because, like I said, I think they're, they're capable of those longer stretches where they really can put six, seven wins on I'll tell you what, though, that is, in football media, you see this, you see that everywhere, people going for the easy life of not not wanting to like, not wanting to upset the Liverpool fans, not wanting to have a Newcastle yeah. fan. But the problem is, you'll always upset someone. All right, be Chelsea on this one, by the looks of it. I was so close to having Chelsea fourth. I think they're actually going to have a solid season, but that, the Hoyland transfer and the leadership, I think, that Man United got and Ten Hag, as you say, I think will make it um, different. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Top scorer can't be Haaland. So we expect Haaland to obviously do it. Uh, who will be the second 
top scorer because this will be useful for our FPL teams this year. Can you ask me next week? <laughs> uh, okay, we'll take Kane out of it as well. <laughs> um, uh, are we taking Kane out because we're assuming he's moved? Yeah, yeah just in case he's moved. That's what okay. we're doing. Um, we know he scores goals. I we think know that. The, the sensible answer is, is Salah, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. I think so. I mean, it's he's just so, so consistent, consistent. For sure. A lot of assists... In the in preseason, do you think the goals will come? Yeah, I, the interest in that. I think I want to say he scored nineteen goals Liverpool in preseason. He's only got two. Mm. Uh, I think he's loads had of loads of assists, but you would, you wouldn't mm. think Liverpool would have that volume of goals. And he'd only scored twice. I mean, it was about seven attacking returns in about five games. It's, it's not like he's out of form or anything. But yeah, you would still think Salah. I think yeah. outside shout would be. I think if something happened to Holland, like a, an Alvarez. I feel like shout. Saka. We not Sonny Saka should in be in the conversation. I disagree with that. At the I can't moment. figure what. So how yeah. will, is Sonny going to? That's Hume in Son for people yeah. who aren't friends with. Him. Uh, is he going to be that central striker? If Kane goes, Kane goes, no, I think it'll be Richardson. It will be Richardson. So he's going to play on that left hand side. Yeah, but I still think he'll get in. Have enough uh, attacking threat and opportunities. Um, what I've heard is that he looks fit again. More than anything else, uh, compared well, to last season, apparently he was injured all last season. Well, exactly. but decided so, not to tell anyone. Uh, so. I mean, his his finishing is is next level. If yeah. Kane's not there, um, someone will have to score the goals, and I think Sonny will really. Will step we see up. a different Sun then? Obviously, with Angeball, his movements or his starting positions will be different. You would yeah, it, it depends. They'll alternate. So as I said, he wants to invert the fullbacks into central areas, which means at those points, the, the two, if you say wide forwards, have got to hold the touchline. But if they come into central areas as i.e. the tens, then it's up to Madison to drop shorter and then the fullbacks go on the outside. So right. there's multiple layers that he's trying to invert um invert, look at me, get into the team at the moment. But I don't see Sonny getting back to the, the goal returns of two years ago. I'll throw a name out actually, which is probably below the top level, Ollie Watkins. I was gonna yeah. suggest the same because obviously you've got the Euros next summer, which he, he might have a, a good chance of getting into the squad for and he'd want to play for. If you replicate the second half of the season over the entire year, he he would have been what, twenty, twenty two goals? I'm pretty goals? sure that the stat I saw was that since Emery took over he had a higher XG in the Premier League than Harry Kane. Wow. Wow. And I think the thing with him is he will play those Premier League games. Like yes. I don't, there's not going to be another striker that comes in. You're going to give Cameron Archer those Conference League minutes. You would hope, I'm yep. sure he would hope as well. So it's there for Ollie Watkins to to be that guy totally. And yeah, I, I think Villa are going to have a really strong season. Agreed. We did talk about that. Let's get into that. The sort of that success of the likes of Villa, Newcastle, Brighton last season, and we spoke about earlier in terms of you know the bottom eleven. You're saying could could go down this year. In terms of looking at the league as a whole, I'm often kind of, people can often sort of go, just focus on the top teams basically and think, oh, they'll win, they'll win, they'll win. I think once again, we go into another season where maybe the bottom four, five teams feel much weaker. But otherwise, it's ne- it's never been more competitive in terms of you know 14 15 teams in this league and there's going to be a lot of drop points again it's, it's the quality of how these teams play mm. so we're going to get like a very different Bournemouth this year Burnley were all fascinated to see what they did last year how that equates into the Premier League most of the teams are playing decent stuff right i mean villa brighton and newcastle have every right to be in the conversation with with the greedy six at the moment yeah can't really question it the reason i'd say i think anyone outside that nine if you will if you include those three teams could go down look what we learned with leicester last year like if you mm-hmm. start badly you've got situations like yours like i mean to be honest the only one of the 11 i would be 
staggered if they really got in trouble at the moment is Brentford. Yes. I yeah. think the duck I just They're can't just too smart. Aren't yeah, they? the manager's great. They they've perfected how to change their tactics from playing so called better teams and so called weaker teams. They've, yeah. they've locked it. So I, I would be staggered if they got into trouble. Other than that, everyone else, you look at say Fulham at the moment, I think they'll be fine. But if Paulinia did go and Mitrovic goes and you're looking at a different team, yeah. Palace have lost Zaha, Elise's injured and been linked with City amongst others. Yep. Something happens to Eze, you look at that front line and you start looking at them a bit where's like the goals? Wolves and Everton, mm. where's the goals? And these all these teams can obviously add between now and the, the transfer window closing, but yeah. How do you how do you feel about the the media and the, the the narrative that gets kind of assigned to different clubs each season and how that affects the team. Do you be, do you believe in that? Because I think what with Leicester, mean? so like with Leicester, with West Ham in the past, with maybe Newcastle in the past as well, there, there would be a feeling of, oh, they're a bit too good to go down. Or sometimes sometimes you go up and you're Fulham and you have that momentum in that first season and then the second season, you just sort of struggle to sort of get that energy and that feel again that can sometimes affect the fans who've kind of gone, oh, okay, we're a good Premier League team. And then there isn't that same kind of energy and and sort of... Second season syndrome is very much a thing, but people aren't talking about it now because specifically of what Brentford did. Yeah, I was going to say, it's a funny one because you can give examples of it going both ways, like Sheffield United second season, they're terrible. Brentford second season better than the first right. season so there's there's stories of it going both ways um so for me with Sheffield yeah. United it's, it's it's second promotion syndrome it's a bit like Norwich City when they kind of they did that and they're like oh and we're excited we're here oh okay we weren't good enough we went Sheffield back United down have also just up. been stripped of their best player and possibly about mm. to lose their second best player as well and have got multiple injuries mm. and good players who did, went on loan there last year aren't there at the moment so they are literally weaker than the team that came up as it stands right now yeah yeah, I mean, the, the three promoted teams stayed up last year, uh, Bournemouth, Forest and uh, and Fulham. I would say that Forest are the ones that I would say are the most at risk of going down. Fulham, Bournemouth, I wouldn't have them in the bottom four. Okay. Uh, who have you got going four. down? But Bournemouth, I think, could finish anywhere between about ninth and 20th, yep. by the way. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Oh, it's, yeah. It's I've got nine. The top nine teams for me are a bit sort of kind of locked in. Let's say 10th. But yeah, t- certainly 10th, 11th, 12th. When I did my prediction, I was like, ooh, how are you there? <laughs> I, think, I, think, I think Bournemouth could really surprise, really surprise this year. Yeah. yeah. James wants us to upset more people now. Who, next, yeah. who's well, who are you go three going down? I, I can go oh, first. It's, go. It's, on my, it's on my video <laughs> on, on my YouTube channel. But the three I've got is, um, I've got Wolves in that third yeah. spot. I've got Sheffield United bottom and I've got Luton second bottom. Sadly. I think you're going to get universal agreement. Here. Yeah, we all feel yeah, the I've same got, about Wolves. Uh, Luton and Sheffield United the other way around. I think Luton, Ever- Luton will be bottom, then Sheffield United and then Wolves. But that that's my I four. think that energy that element will help Luton. Mm-hmm. Everton are just fated to survive. There's always something for Everton that will keep them head above water. And it's it's two of the three teams who's come up this year, I think. Yeah, And suddenly Wolves now as we said maybe in a financial restriction position where the the chairman's come out and said like we are under ffp restriction basically we've got to be careful with what we do and you'd have more trust in everton getting one nil wins under sean dyche than not knowing right now who the wolves manager might be in a month's time yeah where supposedly the wolves have already been sounding people out in case lopetwegi just goes i ain't doing this (laughs) well i mean that's 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 good practice by them because i mean he's been yeah, he's, and yet, he's and yet they, if, if you said put money on one finishing height, I'd probably go Everton at the moment because I think Wolves will likely go. But if you said, right, one of Wolves or Everton will finish 10th, I'd say Wolves are way more likely because they've got good players there like Nunes, Jao Gomez, etc., who could have a much better second season and they might kick on. Yeah, the thing for me is, I, 
I, I still don't see the the goals there. I don't think they'll be better in possession than they were in last season, and I think they'll concede more. And that all like often, you know, with these kind of predictions, you're trying to find answers. And can another thing in terms of answers can answers come from money from buying players? And it doesn't look like they kind of want to do that either. So that's why I'm struggling with. They've that. been linked with like Cresswell and Antonio from usage. Yeah. So. That's probably where they're operating at at the moment. Work with Dawson. Mm. Well, that's what I was going to say. Is that, did, are we now a Wolves feeder club? <laughs> having lost Collins, who's a player I quite like, and I know he didn't have a great season, but I was really impressed with what I saw of him at Burnley. He's gone, so it's now Dawson and Kilman. You've probably got Toti Gomez as backup. After that, I don't know who plays centre-back for Wolves. Yeah. There isn't even a kid coming through who look at the right, he's going to be the one who's going to play there. They might have to shove like, my old mate the dock at centre-back or something. <laughs> And I tell you, you can't play right back in a back four, never mind centre back. Well, what was the answer? What was always the answer last season? Not Matt Dolphin. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Poor bloke. Uh, right, let's run through your some other predictions quickly, and then we're going to get some FPL predictions from you guys. So, surprise team of the season. Uh, I, well, I've mentioned already that it might be Bournemouth. Um, I think it can go either way with them, but having looked quite a bit at Andonia, I. I quite hopeful that we're going to really enjoy watching them and I think they might surprise a few it's a shame they've got difficult fixtures but then his results at Rayo suggested they were really good against some of the better clubs yeah. um, so maybe it is an ideal start possibly I think Bournemouth maybe and I think Burnley have, have got capability although I'm conscious that there's an, because of the other two have come up and obviously really restricted what they can spend etc there is almost like a wide acceptance Burnley will be okay Yeah, and they're also walking into the season with a few issues Josh Cullen's probably going to be unavailable at the weekend they're probably going to have to play probably Connor Roberts at left back inverted at the moment it's not ideal and they've got a difficult start as well but I think they'll be alright Burnley and Bournemouth are the, are the two down there I'm most interested to watch mm, I think I'd season. go Villa uh, we're expecting Villa to have a good season anyway because mm. of um, the squad that he's put together in the end of last season but I think they could surprise people and maybe get up to fifth or something like that yeah. I think above eighth is is quite possible and comfortable for Villa the only unknown is um, the impact of Thursday-Sunday football um, and, and what that will have and how, how deep they'll go in, in the Conference League but if you look at their signings I think everybody's looked at their transfer business and been like right actually you've bought players that have improved your first eleven. And the other bigger clubs could have, should have maybe been interested in as well, like a Pau Torres and um, uh, Diaby as well. These are good, good players yeah. that could make the difference to push them up into like yeah. fifth or, or something like that. I wouldn't go as far as to say challenge the top four, but they could surprise. I think they can. And finish above capable, Chelsea. Sure. Chelsea is a bit of an unknown. Tottenham is a bit of an unknown. They could leapfrog you guys, if, for example. If they continue, we have to go with six months at the mm. last season. At yep. the rate they were going, they'd finish fourth, right? So if that maintains, then then they're in with a shout. I, I've, two points they, a game. Can they deal with the spotlight? I don't see why not. It's quite a young team as well. And they've got young kids there are capable mm. of breaking into that team I love that as it, well. It's a great year for them to have the Conference League. Yep. It's a great... Because you can give... You don't like, have to think about that like the Europa League. The Europa yeah, League can different. be is more taxing on yeah, you. Yeah, I agree. Uh, team that will regress this season. Drop a minimum of five league positions. Brighton, because I think their manager's rubbish. <laughs> that's very much an yeah. joke, and I'm, abs- I'm absolutely lying. Anyone that follows James um, anywhere will know I just, that that's I just wanted to get in and say that I think if Brighton didn't qualify for Europe, I would have predicted them top four this year. Right. I think. I, was, I mean, I surprise, think surprise for the season. I, I, I could see them finishing top four. Like if they, uh, yeah, but I think you're you would imagine will be taxing. I, I, enough. I don't think people realise the depth of quality that Brighton have in offensive areas. It, in the striker position, unbelievable. Right? They've got so many guys there. It's crazy. Have you seen Simon Odinga? 
I watched him I against saw... Brentford in a friendly. He's just the latest one. He's, really? He's brilliant. Like, and yeah. Cissé's going to have like, a If Matoma result. went, he'd play every week and be great. Yeah. Mm. I th- yeah. And Cissé's the one for me. Like, it just, it gets so he he doesn't even definitely get in that team. I know. They've got so got, much offensive quality. Stack, yeah. quality. Uh, brilliant. Which team will suffer the most from European football, Such. I think Probably that's them. That's going to be Probably. Brighton. Do you yeah, think? Yeah, for sure. It's it's difficult to manage for the first time, but for them, it's not the uh, just like first time in Europe in a while. It's first time in Europe, uh, and James has spoken about it on, on our show as well. Like with West Ham, when we were in the Conference League last year, because we'd had Europe the year before, and we were playing some slightly smaller teams or going to uh, the back of beyond. The expectation from the fans wasn't to play a full strength team or to go through or progress. Brighton, this might they might not get European football right, again for another twenty years. They're like, we want to play a strong team and we want to progress and we want to have the best possible go at at the Europa League as we can, because you don't know when it's coming again. That might have more of an impact on them uh, in terms of Thursday, Sunday, maybe. I think Newcastle as well. I know I'm really going after Newcastle this time, but again, I, I just think it's growing pains. I don't think it just goes boom, boom, boom. I think when you've got to deal with the Champions League and the league, the focus was clearly on the league and you had a whole week to, to get yourself set with a great coach and uh, and, and quite a chocolate uh, assistant manager in Tyndall. Um, <laughs> Who hates the spotlight. He hates the new rules, doesn't he? He's not allowed to. He can't stand up anymore. That's a heartbreak. Whoever had that Twitter account about Tyndall, there's a ripple effect. He's, he's heartbroken. How are you going to get him in there now? Um yeah, I think it, I just think it will affect them. I, I think it will in that squad. There, there is a bit of a drop off. You know the group stage of the Champions League, uh, being that my club has never been in it. Would you say that if you win your home games, you, you're going to get through your group? Basically, you need nine points, don't you? Most commonly, yeah. yeah. So I, I mean, think there was there was this one year, weird year, wasn't it, with Arsenal, Napoli, and someone else. Napoli went out on twelve points, didn't they? Right. Because I think they all beat each other, and there was a fourth week team, and they yeah. all beat them home and away. Right. But yeah, 10 points is almost a given, so I think really. With, Nine with, should be enough. With St. James's Park um, being what it is, I think Newcastle will win their home Champions League games but, because I think it'll be an intimidating environment. I, I'm not saying they won't be do bad. I think they'll get through, through their the group. Games. But I just think it will... I think like, that's a great word, taxing. I think it will be taxing them. They'll, they'll go into pot three, right? Because it's a long time since they've been in Europe. So yeah. they could, in theory, get... Um, Barcelona. They could get two big ones. Oh, yeah, mm. yeah, they absolutely could. I'm yeah, it's going to be some I, I cracking think, games. That's look, a good they, they could. One, who, who finished second in La Liga? Madrid, right? Mm. So they could get Madrid and Napoli as an as an example, right? And you look at that as a group. Whoa. I mean, it'd be mm. great to see it. Like those are games you'd really want to watch. The, uh, the concern I'd have for Newcastle, and to be fair, I had this concern when they were doing really well in the autumn period. I worried if they could sustain. The, the sheer intensity that they were putting into their work off the ball because basically the hardest working team last year off yeah. the ball in terms of it was just relentless even in away games but particularly at St James's Park and to be fair they lasted the course and almost got stronger but doing it Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday if you've got like Real Madrid or Napoli or something like that in the middle of it different base but I, I don't think they'll drop off like you because I think they're very good I, I, I just I, think there's a lot of competition there too and I think that in the Premier League there's a lot of competition there too so I don't think it's like Serie A or other leagues where I mean like, yeah dare I say that but I just I just think it will hurt them a little bit but like eight's okay like, I don't th- think eight's the end of the world I don't think year. that is okay for Newcastle this year I think next year it's not I think, if, I think if, it's still if, moving if somewhere. for that if if for Newcastle fans that comes with a trophy or something, they'll probably sign now because it's been sure. so long for them. But I think um, it's not a necessity for them to have to finish top four. I do see the first time we got in it under Harry Redknapp was like that. It was fourth, and it was it felt like always oh, going to be a challenge to do it again. 
and we weren't really in contention. But we still finished fifth. And don't forget, fifth might be enough for Champions League this I th- year. But that's so... a different. I think that's a different league. Then I think there's. I think it's become a bit more truncated. Like there's more. There's more quality. There's there's Brighton's. There's Villas. There's Palace can beat anyone on their own day. Like any of those teams can beat anyone on their day. Other than so. other than Tottenham and Chelsea, the others have all got the same challenge in terms of the European stuff on that, right? Mm-hmm. So um, we could say yeah, Newcastle might have a drop off, but similar might apply to to Brighton and Villa. I think that narrative can go. I my biggest concern for Newcastle would be a can they do the intensity Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday? But I also think they can adapt tactics because they've got a wider range of personnel they can pick from, particularly in attacking areas. But a big concern is is defensively they were fortuitous in the sense that back four and goalkeeper played nearly every game last mm. year once Sven Botman was integrated that was basically the, the team throughout the quality of depth behind it we think Livermento is going to happen don't we yep. but at centre back it's questionable if 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 Cher's not fit for the opener for example it's probably Jamal Lascelles at centre back that's a drop off mm. transfer of the season I'm going to let you go first cause I know what you're saying and I need to think about it. <laughs> uh, I'm going to go with Declan Rice. No, really. I never yeah, knew you were going to say yeah, that. Yeah, I'm going to go with it because I've been sticking this flag in the ground uh, since it happened because of my love for him. But I think at the end of next season or within a year from now, we're going to look at it and say that was cheap. I don't disagree. Like even in the first couple say, of performances from him, Arsenal. I'm like, I think, and I think he's, I think his ceiling's very high because I think he develops. I think he yeah. takes in information and then he's got all the physical elements that you want as well. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think in t- I I've d- I did a video on my channel which will be out l- later this week, and it was about unpopular predictions and people saying that Kai Havertz will be a better value than than Declan Rice. And I was saying maybe somehow Havertz kind of catches fire this year and scores more goals than Rice this year. But if you ask me in four years' time who was the better player for you, it will inevitably be Declan Rice yeah. for me. Well, he'll probably go on and be Arsenal captain, won't he? Yeah, this so, is it. So. When um, when I've been talking to Arsenal fans and we have one in the office about the value of it, I'm like, look, firstly, you've got to think about how many players that are sold for over 80 or 98 million are ever successful. And if you look down the list, transfer marks, if, if you will, there's so few that actually end up being good, good deals. Um, but what are you comparing it against? I'm like, as Arsenal, you want a player that's going to get you closer to Manchester City, that's going to fill a, a depth gap in your squad, that's going to give you leadership, that's young enough, homegrown, and so on and so on. When you start making a list of all of the different things it gives you, yeah. and ultimately, does it push you closer to winning something, the price is going to be irrelevant. If it does all of that, you're not going to mention it. You know, th- that happened with Jack Grealish this year. The season before, he was £100 million Jack Grealish. This this year was just Jack Grealish because the football did the talking and his price tag kind of drifted away. I think the same will happen with Declan Rice. I reckon Mm. this time next year, I'm putting my flag in the ground, we're going to turn around and say it was cheap. Do you think there's a possible ripple effect for Jared Bowen in terms of West Ham? Because since Declan Rice left West Ham, they've seemingly moved towards this 4-4-2 in pre-season. It involves Bowen playing wider, receiving the ball much more. Uh, this meant that he's not only getting more touches, more goal involvements. He's registered four goal involvements in pre-season. Uh, for, I mean, from an FPL point of view, does he now become an option at seven million? Depends and, what's happening at home. <laughs> it's interesting. You said um, that when you started the question, will it have an impact on Jared Bowen? I thought you were going to approach it from an emotional point of view. <laughs> you know, like, Hopefully he's, he's devastated. Right has, he, has he lost his mate? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, come um, on, Jared, we've got to start the, the game. Yeah, what's the point? And, no. uh, as, as funny as it is, we've not announced who the captain's going to be next season. And it leaves such a void in the dressing room for the likes of Bowen and what have you that were mates. And now who is the leader and who's going to stand 
up. I thought you might be approaching the question from will Bowen step up Big from captain. a leadership point of view. I mean, he's in he's one that's been mentioned. Um, from a on the pitch point of view, um, I think we're we're letting Skamaka go. I don't think there's been much talk of signing another striker because Mbama's coming through. But so you've got Ings, Antonio, Mbama, but Bowen is always there as when we've run out strikers, which has happened. Uh, Bowen's the one that gets chuck, chucked up top. Right. Um, so yeah, I think it will have a, a good impact on him. Okay. Right, we're going to have a little break and then we're going to be back and we'll be putting forward some FPL predictions. This episode is brought to you by Etsy. Looking to instantly upgrade your Mother's Day gift from typical to meaningful? Shop Etsy. Now until May 12th, get up to 30% off personalized jewelry, style, decor, and so many other items mom will love. And if you want her to know you put a ton of thought into her present, use Gift Mode. Gift Mode on Etsy takes the stress out of gifting so you can easily find well-crafted, original, and affordable pieces from small shops. Just tap or click Gift Mode on your Etsy app or Etsy.com. Then answer a few short questions about mom, and Gift Mode instantly gives you curated ideas based on hundreds of personas. Need something original and affordable for Mother's Day? Etsy has it. Shop until May 12th for up to 30% off gifts for mom. Terms apply. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. You are listening to the Ripple Effect. If you haven't followed the podcast on Spotify, please do or wherever you get and are listening to this uh, podcast right now. I'm here with the guys from Planet FPL, and it's time to talk about FPL and some FPL predictions. Now, Serge. Yes. I asked you for a team of the season. Forget price at all. This is You won't be able to do this team, guys, before I, I read it out. But in terms of players that will get the most points at the end of FPL. Was James involved in this or is this your team? It was all James. He asked me to do it. Okay, so James James. did it. (laughs) Right, so this is your team. So that we would have agreed on uh, 10 out of 11, I would have said. I think they're, yeah. So Alisson will be the goalkeeper that scores the most points? I think so. You've got the clean sheet potential, obviously, even though they've got defensive problems. But the difference with, say, him and and Edison is he'll get the save points and stuff and he's more capable of hitting. How crucial are those save points? Very much People often just go, oh, and, You're going to get a clean sheet, and, doesn't and that's why really you, you want to go with a cheaper goalkeeper because they're very capable of of getting it. If you get a, a Leno or a Pickford, get a clean sheet away from home, you possibly get nine ten, because that's less likely with an Allison. But you'll get more in terms of the clean sheets. But yeah, in terms of like an Allison versus Edison, even though I think City will keep clean sheets, I'd definitely rather go Allison. I think at the start of every season you have this debate about premium goalkeepers. Um, and they're going to—he's going to score somewhere between 160 and 170, 80 points. Let's say next season, and Allison, you won't find a midfielder at 5.5 that might get close to one. It's—it's it's, it's harder to find a midfielder at that price point that might get close to 170, 180 points. So why don't we just pick the best keeper and leave him be through through the season? Right. Um, but I think we get caught in the upside of finding a 4.5 that's not too far behind that. Um, but I'm with you, because James. if you find the right one, you won't be far off here. Yeah, the, the gap isn't as big. You're right. I think Man City will concede so few goals this year. 
does that mean that regardless of the save points, Edison is a decent shout not, just not, because not of... Not with this added time. It's the, <laughs> I mean, in terms of the FPL community, they're laughing about it already at the weekend. It's so typical City to concede a goal in like the 101st minute or something. <laughs> it, it just seemed faint. The problem with them is they go 3-4 and they up and they really do relax. Mm. They're not bothered. Uh, midfield. So you guys went for a 3-4-3. Three, three. In terms of formation for FPL this season, is do you think that's going to be the road that people go down? It's quite uh, tricky these days. With no, it's, it's probably more 3-5-2 for, for many, mm. but the emergence of maybe João Pedro might be changing that template a little bit towards the start of the mm. season. I but, think five in midfield is, yeah. is pretty much... Uh, uh, where everybody's going and okay. then whether it's a 4-5-1 or a 3-5-2 depends on whether or not you, you want to gamble on um, a second striker really over a fourth defender. Okay. When it comes to the template team, it seems like Anana is uh, the main man at the moment, yes. just so yeah. you guys know. Uh, the back three in terms of uh, who's going to get the most points this season in FBL. We've got Trent, we've got Trips, and we've got John Stones. Yeah, I like I like Johnny Stones as an option because I think you've seen a lot more from him offensively where he just ends up getting so high, he can even be laying the ball into Holland now. That's yep. how high on the pitch he's getting. And City players do tend to get assists, even five, six-yard passes, and someone else does the business and scores. So that's just him over the others just based on his sheer positioning mm. on the pitch. The, the only downside with that is because of the sheer work that Guardiola's often asking him to put into games, he is liable for the odd rest I think in some of the easier fixtures when the Champions League comes round but I would think at the moment he'd be City's highest scoring defender Joe Gvardio's coming at five yeah I mean he won't start the season but that's one really well, to keep it's tempting yeah. is that is this one again with, with Man City that Pep's going to kind of have that sort of uh, macro look at it all and go okay you're going to play a load of games up until December then I'm going to give you a break up until February and then we're going to play again because say like Stone's you know, Diaz, Gvardiol, Akanji, like all these players. What's what's going to be the starting back line for Man City? Like when everyone's fit. Yeah. Um, Stones would be in it. Diaz would be in it. Gvardiol would be in it. And then the other ones probably a little bit out for debate, dependent on say opponent. So if he's playing against a Martinelli, he's more likely to want someone like Carl Walker. Yeah. Yep. If it's Salah. Uh, if you're playing against Liverpool, then they're maybe more likely to go with Aki or Akanji and go really tight on Salah. So it's, it's opponent dependent from that perspective. And then you think it would be Gvardia would be the one that drops out? Do you think Stones no. will always play is kind of what I'm getting at? I, well, listen, Man City players and always play is not a sentence you put together, to be honest, <laughs> okay. James. Uh, but I think Stones, Diaz and Gvardia would be, if he was playing a cup final tomorrow, those three play okay. would, would, would be the intention. Gvardia obviously needs a little period of integration. Trips, I think we, look, we know what we get with Trips. Um, he's also called Kieran Trippier for people who just cringe there twice. <laughs> he's a great little playmaker for them, and will continue to do so, do that. You would imagine um, Trent though. Trent has always been such a you know talking point when it comes to FPL. I know you've always been really really strong on him. Has that continued this season? And even if he's playing that sort of more deep lying roles or stepping I, into I, the middle, I think this field. might be last year of FPL, darling. But he'll still be one of the highest scoring players. Whether he's worth that eight point zero at the moment, I think is. Very questionable with their fixtures and debate around Liverpool's fixtures at the start, and a very good alternatives like Stones at a saving of two and a half. You know, Arsenal players at three million cheaper and more likely to get more clean sheets. You have to factor these things in. It'd be interesting because potentially, if he's a midfielder next year, it might be it's over for the FPL managers and and the FPL community. Obviously, love him for what he can be, and obviously he had a really good end of the season, but that was also with a kind fixture list. 
mm. as well. So, I mean, I'm not, I can't see me having him at the start. You're going to go I'm, there. I'm, I know I'm the are. absolute opposite. But you think you'll get the most points of the defender? Oh, yeah, but yeah. he should do at that price. Like, right. he should by a long way. That's the point. Right. Yeah. Okay, I've, he, he went into my team. Um, from day one and he hasn't left so I'm quite I'm quite the opposite I think he's definitely going to be worth it a lot of people use the same argument for Alisson saying that he's going to keep the most clean sheets but then we'll switch the argument when they're talking about Trent in that oh well he's not going to keep that many clean sheets we can't have it both ways if you think right. Alisson's going to be the top goal point. scorer uh, goalkeeper then that's because of clean sheets I mean Trent's got to be up there as well and um, I think his inversion will lead to more assists more attacking returns okay um, yeah I, I'm yeah, Alisson makes more saves because Liverpool have a problem defensively <laughs> yeah thanks to, thanks to Trent so yeah. uh, midfield you've got with Salah Rashford Saka and Foden big season for Foden I think he's going to have a monster yeah yeah, yeah I really do that's centrally not, or out on the right I think he'll essentially I think you yeah. I think you I'm quite hopeful that we're sitting here in eight, nine months and we're looking at Foden Bellingham playing in front of Rice for England yeah. next summer. I but also, I'd say... I put a tweet out middle, about a month on, ago yeah. saying Foden's going to score the win in the uh, in the Euro final. Just wanted to get it out there early before he kicks off. Yeah, you, do you think we'll win the Euros? Oh, yes. Me too. I think um, <laughs> whether he's central or whether he's on the right actually also doesn't matter. Like, I think Foden, it picks up points... From wherever he plays, it, it, with him is just on on the on the minutes. Yeah. If he and gets the, the minutes, he'll have a massive season. Right now, he's in my team and he's not in yours, James. So I, I, yeah, I, I really like the fact that I can have I'm, him. The pain I'm, in James makes me realise that yeah, Foden's a good pick yeah, because I, I, I know he really wants you, him. You know, I might be trying something that's a little bit out there, and yeah. therefore I'm not starting there. But uh, look, it's the same problem with him. Is he going to play on Friday night? We we just don't know. But I know, I'm very confident that throughout the season, he'll do extremely well. Like, I put him in there above Sonny, right? I'm not putting mm-hmm. Sonny on that list. I put him above Madison. Yep. I think he's going to have a monster season, Phil Foden. And then, won't talk about it for long, really, because we know enough about them. Harlan, Kane, if he stays, and Watkins, who we spoke about earlier, that will be... Did I put Kane in the team? Mm-hmm. Why did I do that? Wishful thinking, I think. <laughs> uh, FPL predictions, yeah. right, here we go. Going to go sort of quick fire-ish. You can have a couple of sentences, but no more! Because we've got another podcast. Uh, right. Play with the most FPL points this season will be... Erling Haaland. Maybe. <laughs> I mean, listen, if he stays fit, yes. Yeah. Okay. The best differential this season will be... Whichever Liverpool forward plays regularly enough up front, but I can't, can't give you that answer. I want to tell you Darwin Nunes. I'm going to go with Diaby, uh, Aston Villa. Yeah, good uh, shot. He's at a good price at 6.5. And I think um, once he once he has a, f- a good two or three games out of the first five, let's say, everybody will be able to find a way to get him. Right. Um, so he won't stay a differential for long, to be honest with you. But I think Diaby will, will be good. Yeah, I like that shot. Mm. FPL transfer of the season. Uh, as in what? The, uh, some, someone who's moved this summer, you mean? Madison. I don't know. I mean, it's, it's, yeah, go on, let's do that. Madison. I guess you've got to stick with the RB, haven't you? Is he 7 million? I feel like of, of the players who've moved that you really kind of want at the start, he'd, he'd be near the top of the list, I think. I know this is really random, but Ryan Giles at Luton. He puts a lovely ball in. He puts in it, yeah. yeah. He okay. creates, for a team that's good, was good at set pieces last year as well, He there might be a little gem in there. But it's a Kabore right wing back, 0.5 cheaper. Yeah. I'm going to put a, a player out there, same position, same price, Kai Havertz. Same price in FPO, I should say, as opposed to in real life. They're both seven million midfielders, right? There's way too much Arsenal talk on this show. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's move on. Uh, players who didn't perform last season that will excel this year. Foden. Jared Bowen. 
I have to say it quietly. Okay. I, what are you whispering it for? <laughs> yeah. I feel like I'm jinxing it. Right. I throw I, I, I <laughs> a right differential out who I wouldn't advise people start with but keep an eye is Keen Lewis Potter at Brentford. Yes. Okay. My mate's a Brentford fan. He's been saying that he's been very good mm. in preseason. Interesting. Damsgaard's been playing more as well. Yeah, I like I like Mikel Damsgaard. Uh, best captain after Haaland? In one, uh, as in game week one, Saka. Yeah, any, but, but most weeks, Salah or any, Kane. Any attacking Arsenal player, I would have said for game week one. Um, but Saka is the one that I would say go to. Are there any Man City must-haves after Haaland? No. no, no. Do Arsenal's transfers this season? Sorry, Joe. Do Arsenal's transfers this season affect which Arsenal assets we select? Yeah, not for us at the moment. No. We're keen on Gabriel Martinelli Saka to start yeah. with, yeah. and then. Yeah. And Odegaard next on the list, and they were all there last yeah, year. Yeah, listen, so. they've got a number of good choices, but I think that with Martinelli... A bit snippy Saka, that, do you hear that? Well, yeah, look, they've got a load of good choices. <laughs> to, be, to be honest, the truth hurts, right? And I'm here. <laughs> yeah, sure. Uh, does Chelsea's form in pre-season mean we need three Chelsea assets this season? Although Nkunku could be out for months. I've, I've That's the word, two morning. months, apparently. Yeah, ouch. Yeah. So uh, No, and yeah. partly because of that yeah. as well. I think the answer is no at the start of the season but could we all gravitate eventually towards having for sure? Like the price points of a lot of the Chelsea players make that possible with like a, a Colwell 4.5. If he's regular, you want you want yeah. some of that. If, and their fixtures get better after game week four, right? It does mean Chuck Wameka might play more and he's also I bottom price. My, my concern with that is it blocks, whereas say suddenly I want Jackson, Chilwell and James and I've got Chuck Wameka sitting there and it's great for his regular bench option. But if I want three Chelsea starters, that's a problem. So I think Chilwell's the best one to go with at the start. So I'm going to kind of rephrase this one. If you have to, if you had to have a Liverpool attacker that's not Salah in your FPL team, who would you go for? Brutal. So... Because they're all potentially good. Uh, and it's very close. potentially rotated, aren't they? It's well. very close between Luis Diaz and Jota for me. But also my decision making is, is very based on historically how these players have done for me before. Like I get <laughs> right, I get right. emotionally attached to players that have done well for me. Okay. Uh, and both Jota and Diaz have when they've been fit and in my team. So I would gravitate towards those. Whereas I've never really owned Gakpo or Nunez. So uh, I don't really have any connection with them. I absolutely want to say Nunez, but I don't I don't think I can. I think not where he played Monday night. We do think Curtis Jones might have had a niggle, which might have been why McAllister played deeper. And clearly the intention is obviously they're going after Olavio's like, McAllister at six is quite cheeky. So I think if I had to start with one, it would be him. Okay. Uh, can we rely on any Tottenham assets, James? Of course not. <laughs> okay. If Kane but leaves keep, does... keep an eye on Destiny at left back, he is dynamite. Okay. If Kane leaves, does Richardson become a must-have? Is that a midfielder no. in the game? I, I, I can't be having must-have anyway, but okay. Richardson will play through the middle. Yeah, as said. Are there any underrated FPL assets from the newly promoted teams? Yes. There's 4.0s at all of them. So there's George Baldock at Sheffield United, really like Issa Kabori, as I said, at Luton, Jordan Bayer at Burnley. So there's 4.0s across them. I think Zaruri and Amdouni at Burnley are worth keeping a, a watching brief on, but I wouldn't. Yeah. I wouldn't start with them at the moment. Um, they'd be the only ones from the, the, the free promoted that I'd consider offensively. But in theory, yeah, you've got four, three four point zeros or almost certain starters across those three clubs. And final questions: Who is going to win out of you two at the end of the season? Me, I'm because he beat me last year. Who won the season before that? You, you won the season before I that. Always and win. then I won the season before that. But I'm I didn't on a, last year. I'm on a, I'm on a two, two out of three. 
um, yeah. Like, hold sure. on, we're not including the COVID <laughs> season. It's like Liverpool's title. It's got the asterisks, mate. It's the same for you. Yeah. It doesn't <laughs> count, mate. Right, guys. Thank you so much. Uh, we are going to take a very brief break. And then we are going to be back with a, an evergreen podcast talking about FBL exclusively and the ripple effects that it has had. Uh, if you want to check it out, then make sure you follow the podcast. Make sure you check out Planet FPL. It is a wonderful podcast, regardless if you play FPL or not. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.